Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Peter Avellino, a gifted and thoughtful writer, as well as a wonderfully knowledgeable film buff. The friendly and supportive Peter Avellino was one of my first friends on Twitter, regularly scouring the streaming libraries of any number of apps in order to track down buried treasure. When he isn't watching or talking about movies, including celebrating the anniversaries of their release, Peter can be found posting highly articulate, introspective essays on film on his site, Mr. Peel's Sardine Liqueur, where he deciphers the code of cinema from the center of Los Feliz. I am so pleased to bring him on today so he can do the same here. Welcome, Peter. How are you doing and how have you been adapting to quarantine life? It hasn't, uh, you know, it hasn't been easy, but I've been adapting and I've been mostly by myself. And I, I had a sort of outside project that I had to work on a couple of weeks ago, which involved employment. So that was a good thing. Um, and I've been watching a lot of movies and working on a few of my own things and occasionally leaving the house. And it's just all been learning as I've been going. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I talk to a lot of people on the phone, a lot of people through text, just checking in with friends every day, every few days. Yeah. Checking in on family members. Nothing too notable considering how everyone's living these days, but it's been an ongoing thing, obviously. Good. And everyone in your family is in good health and everything? Uh, I talk to my mother every single day. She lives in Santa Fe, so she's she's doing all right, I think. Yes. Yes. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, one question I've always wanted to ask you is, how did you first become interested in film and or writing about movies? Was there like a gateway film that did it or did you just always like movies? I think it was a, I think it was a sort of gradual process. The funny thing is I was sort of, um, it's been very hard to focus on writing lately. And one of the pieces yeah. I was working on which is almost too obvious right now was a piece on rear window because that was actually a big movie for me. Um, because I saw there was an early eighties series of re-releases of these various Hitchcock films that had been withdrawn from circulation for, for years. And wow. they reappeared in the early eighties and I was taken to rear window as a kid. It's the one of those that I saw in the theater and I loved it. And I think my parents were even like, Oh, you must've been bored. I'm sorry. I was like, no, I really like that. And it, <laughs> That was one of those movies that sort of started something off. And it was sort of a gradual thing of moving from the expected titles you'd expect, Star Wars and all that stuff, to things that maybe, you know, seeing Brazil when I was 14 or 15, that was just my, mm-hmm. my head exploded. That. And I couldn't just easily accept some of the crap that friends of mine would go to. And I'd go see it with them. I'd be like, this, this sucks. And they'd be like, what? What's wrong? <laughs> it's a movie. Um, so it was an ongoing thing when I was a kid. And mm-hmm. as far as the writing goes, I think I did a little bit of that then just trying it. But, you know, it really started with the blog. And even that was a gradual thing of becoming just me trying to do blogging, which was over 10 years ago. Blogs were still a thing then. Yeah. And they're 
not as much now, but they were I then, know. and gradually turned into my writing these ridiculously long essays on movies that in some cases had always fascinated me, or in some cases I was trying to find my way into for various for various reasons, and just trying to seek out movies that were different than just the usual things back in the 80s, which... Um, that people were going to, you know, return again, Return of the Jedi and just, you know, the giant mm-hmm. blockbusters and all that stuff. And the the 80s, you know, they do get a, it does get a bad rap as far as films go, justifiably so sometimes. But there were things like Orion Pictures um, mm-hmm. and all the films that they would put out. And, you know, I lived I grew up in Westchester County near New York and they would, you know, Art house type films would dribble into the multiplexes from there. I mean, I remember Blue Velvet playing for months at wow. this one multiplex. I would go to see it a couple of times, and I loved it. And um, so the 80s, the 80s was an interesting period to start to explore those things. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah it was a nice balance. I just rewatched Rear Window on uh, Sunday night. Yeah, mm-hmm. it had been so many years since I saw it. And it's amazing just how that movie doesn't age because yep. we can still relate to so much of it. Mm-hmm. And I was taken in by just how much the women get to do everything in that film, as opposed mm-hmm. to like he comes up with these ideas, but then they take him a step further. And it's just a fascinating one to watch. So I hope eventually you'll find your way back into it. Cause I would love to read your thoughts on that movie. It's, it's not, not so much as finding my way into it, just as focusing on writing yeah. a piece. <laughs> this time. I know. Um, yeah. It's great. Yeah. movie. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that on the big screen. So I'm so glad you did. It was it was a wonderful thing. And I know I saw it. It got another re-release in 2000. I saw it then. And it's just one of those movies that I've seen a zillion times on video. And most of those Hitchcocks, you know, you know, Vertigo is the one that always turns up in mm-hmm. 70 mil. Great to see. And, you know, some of those Hitchcocks, um, you know, the colors in certain, some of those 50s films, um, you know, The Man Who Knew Too Much. And no. North by Northwest, I've seen constantly. I love yes. that film. Um, yeah. And that's another one that's just a blast to see, no matter how many times you've seen it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I would love to see those. I haven't seen any of the Hitchcocks on the big screen. Oh, so. you I know. Oh, I'm missing out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you run one of my favorite social media accounts on Twitter. Your timeline is filled with movies you're watching, titles celebrating their anniversaries, and great old photos. I'm always finding inspiration in your posts of movies to add to my must-see list. So obviously, I need to ask you today... So everyone can benefit from your Uh taste. What have you been watching lately? And is there anything you'd like to recommend? Anything I'd like to recommend. It's a weird thing because when, when all this started, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was almost, you know, I I think I got Disney plus actually right after it started because, you know, I figured, well, just, you know, why not? Um, there was one night where I wasn't in the greatest of moods and I just decided to order HBO streaming through Amazon just so I could watch Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, because that seemed like a good reason to me and it was great. And um, but then I started to check out some of the movies that were on there. It's like, oh, they have Arthur. I'm watching Arthur this second. And oh, I suddenly well, found myself. Yeah. I suddenly found myself gravitating towards, you know, 
comedies of that certain vintage, maybe romantic comedies from the 80s and 90s if they were set in New York, all the better. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like comedies from then that I hadn't seen in decades or even in some cases ever seemed strangely comforting to me. And I gravitated towards those more than some of the movies that I've seen a million times. I mean, you can imagine some of the movies that I post about all the time, whether The Long Goodbye or some of those things, that I've seen them a lot. Mm -hmm. So I needed something to sort of uh, help uh, help me in my evenings. Yeah, so it was almost like, you know, Arthur and somebody's like, oh, they have all of me. Oh, there's House Sitter with Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn. Great movie. (laughs) Oh, my God, there's Jumpin' Jack Flash. And there's, uh, oh, The Secret of My Success. And, um, you know, Desperately Seeking Susan, which from Orion is one of the best ladies movies. Um, You know, Mariah was very excited the night I watched Someone Like You with... uh, um, Ashley Judd, which I put on oh, for yeah. no reason whatsoever. But that was just this two th- fairly normal 2001, I think, comedy pre-9-11. So the World Trade Center's there and it's set in a yeah. different world now, obviously. And, you know, also digging at further and further into Amazon Prime, whether it's, you know, certain 60s titles with Elkie Summer, like, um, what was that, the, long, uh, the Lonely Passion of Paula Schultz or something like that, The Wicked Dreams of Paula Schultz, which Ooh. is a terrible movie and goes <laughs> on for about two hours, but Elkie Summer is in it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, there's a really terrible movie, again, starring Dick Van Dyke called Some Kind of a Nut, where he plays a guy, and it's the late 60s, and he plays a guy who gets stung by a bee on his face um (laughs) so to cover it up he grows a beard and chaos ensues because it's like he's joined the counterculture or something and everyone in his life is really upset at him and that's the plot of the movie and i don't think there's a laugh Um, but but it's got those late 60s colors and stuff and angie dickinson and it's like well i have to watch this now and so you know again like just going through raw deal with schwarzenegger and escape from alcatraz and um California Split turned up on Amazon, and you know I'm yeah. all about that. And I found a really interesting little scene one, a cable movie directed by Paul Mazursky from the early 2000s called Coast to Coast with Richard Dreyfuss and Judy Davis. They're a married couple thinking about splitting, and they go on a road trip. And it's not a great movie. It's done on a cable budget shot in Toronto. Okay. But it's, it's written by... Um, the two for the road guy. I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden, but he Me wrote too. it. It's directed. By, it, it's directed by Mazursky. You can feel his touch in there. Dreyfus and Davis are both really good, and it's this sort of movie like you know this should be seen by people. Cool. This is good. Yeah. 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 And so you know, I've been again digging through Amazon day by day, and also just I've been starting to pull out some of my DVDs again because I every night it's like I gotta watch something. Yeah. Michael Caine movies have I got, so it's an ongoing. Yeah, I've been, it, a lot of movies that I haven't seen since the 80s are just never, and a lot of them are junk, but you need to pass these nights somehow. You bet. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that perfectly leads in. I was going to say one thing I always appreciate is your detective skills in finding <laughs> these deep-cut classic movies, and they're always hiding on, like, Amazon Prime Video which yeah. I think has one of the most confounding and just confusing interfaces of all the streaming services. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I was going to say, besides Coast to Coast, have you found any other films like hiding in streaming libraries or things that you think 
hey, this should get seen more, even if it's mm. not Prime Video elsewhere? Are there any buried um, treasure by Peter Avellino? You could make your own well, podcast. I, <laughs> a, a, I, when I started pulling up HBO, a lot of that stuff was, again, these cable titles that I hadn't seen since forever. I started to write a piece on House Sitter, believe it or not, because it was almost like a movie that I hadn't seen since it came out. And I remembered it being kind of neither here nor there. And I watched it again and was like, this is just about the most average movie ever made. This is not the worst Steve Martin movie <laughs> one thing no. ever or the worst. It's mm -hmm. right in the middle. At some points, it almost hits a bullseye. It doesn't really, but it's watchable. And... Yes. Um, you know, uh, going through, going through something like Disney plus it's, you know, they've got their animated things in those seventies titles, a lot of which are pretty, yeah. not so <laughs> you know, they've got big business with Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. That's pretty good. But, um, yep. again, a lot of like going through HBO, I haven't wanted to watch a lot of like action stuff and horror movies. I love those films, mm -hmm. but it's like late at night. I needed something a little bit more, more mild, more soothing. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, you know, although, you know, stumbling across unstoppable for the first time since I'd seen it in the theater, that movie is fantastic. It really and is. I know that's kind of, that movie's kind of a film Twitter thing by this point, but um, mm -hmm. it's deserved. It's yeah. deserved. And again, I think I mentioned Escape from Alcatraz. That's on Amazon Prime. And um, I watched a few weeks ago, I watched Cousins, the Joel Schumacher film with uh, Ted Danson. I really like that. Which I saw again in the theater, never again since. The main thing about that movie is Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. Because it, it, I'm not sure if there's another Isabella Rossellini as movie star film. Um, I mean, yeah. Blue Velvet is great, but it's not really that. And mm -hmm. the movie becomes something more than it would have been with something else. At one point, it bursts into this almost operatic love theme. And she she lets, she warrants that. Yes. She warrants that. She, she brings this sensual quality to the film that, you know, is actual emotion in this pretty silly movie. When you come right it down is to silly. it. Yeah, it's yeah. a remake. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 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 Yeah. So again, it's this nonstop uh, digging through. Yeah. yeah. Only when I laugh with Marsha Mason and Christy McNichol, which I just watched the other night. Um, I have you know, not seen that. I'm really looking forward to it. That's not the greatest Neil okay. Simon, but again, I had never seen it. And um, mm -hmm. you get the feeling that he's going for something uh, deeper. And okay. He was best at the comedy. Let's I put it that way. Um, gotcha. You know, the, the competition with Richard Dreyfuss and Amy Irving. I watched The Jazz Singer with Neil Diamond one night. Why? Because <laughs> it was there. What else are we going to do? Exactly. Um, it's a strange time. It it's really is. <laughs> well, I'm also a big fan of the way that you used to share all of your new Beverly film going adventures. Oh, so let's yes. say the pandemic's over, Peter, and we've all been vaccinated. We're going to the new Beverly. They've <laughs> hired you to oh, program like a triple feature for opening. You don't need to hire me. Phil does a great job and everyone there. Oh, um, yeah, but, yeah. Uh... But let's just pretend. Okay. So, okay. So you're putting out a triple feature that either defines you or your mm -hmm. taste in movies. So people can get to know Peter. So what are you screening for us? 
That's a good question. I mean, some of the obvious, you know, things like The Long Goodbye are pretty obvious, but, you know, I certainly would always be up for screening that again. And something like Model Shop has become pretty obvious for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people don't know that one. That's the Jacques Demy film from 69, which, uh, which is a movie that I saw back around 2000, I think, at the Egyptian. And um, I think like a few people I was with like left early because they were like, I can't take this anymore. It's just the guy driving around. <laughs> it's like, no, I love this. And every time it would play, whether at the Egyptian or the Arrow in Santa Monica, I would go to see it again because it wasn't on DVD at that point. And yeah. I found the movie kind of hypnotizing and beautiful. Um, so that is always one of those movies that I would try to expose people to, to get, to get away from LA for a minute. Um, if we're going to stay in LA, maybe I would go for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls because you can't see Beyond the Valley of the Dolls too many times. If we're going to go back (laughs) to New York, maybe, uh, something like The Sweet Smell of Success to get Uh a little black and white in there. I would probably get, or maybe go for some Billy Wilder, like The Apartment or Sunset Boulevard, because again, you can't see The Apartment too many times. Um, um, so, so those are a few that, uh, that come to mind. I'd like to see the sweet swamp success in a the theater again. Cause I love that. Yeah. film. Yeah. It's so brilliant. Well, I would go see any of those. So even though of course they're doing a terrific job, if they oh, bring on a Peter Knight, yeah, I'm coming yes. up. Yeah. And, I'll come up for that. Know, <laughs> and I'm sure, um, looking here, I see my DVD of the legend of Lila Claire, which is probably a terrible movie that I always want to watch again. It was just on TCM the other week. And I don't know if you've seen that one. No, it's, um, it's Robert Aldrich film from the late sixties. Um, where, um, Peter Finch is a, uh, you know, an aging von Sternberg type director who hasn't worked in years. And he, there is a movie, movie star named Lila Claire who died under mysterious circumstances that he was served this Bengali to. And this, uh, um, this actress is found who looks exactly like her played by Kim Novak. And she is brought on to star in a biopic about Lila Claire. And once they get going on the movie, it's like, is she being possessed by Lila Claire? Is, is she not? It doesn't feel like the movie is sure about this. It's a weird, not good movie that I find myself. I love putting it on late at night because it's so quiet and weird and has this great <laughs> scene near the beginning of Kim Novak wandering down Hollywood Boulevard during the opening credits and it has the greatest ending of all time that will just, that just is like taking a flamethrower to the entire film. And (laughs) if you sit there bored by the movie for two hours and 10 minutes, it's an ending that will really fuck you up. But if you just show it to somebody, it, 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 it'll be gobbledygook. It, it, uh, nobody likes this movie. I like this movie and Scorsese likes this movie. I think we're the only ones. Um, But I would, I would think about showing a room full of people that one just to get them mad at me, just to (laughs) have them be that full. Yeah. Yes. That one is sitting there right near me. (laughs) If it's ever on TCM again, by all means, I recommend it. And then don't come at me yelling at me afterwards when you hate it. That's what I won't. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. Actually. I'm curious now. Well, I've also enjoyed your pictures from around L.A. of houses and places that we see on screen, as well as your set visit photos. Is there anything you've seen that either really surprised you with how a movie scene was shot or impressed you so that when you watch the movie or the scene, 
you're thinking about what you've seen in real life? Um, I don't know about surprised. I mean, you know, you, I'm sure you noticed when I was um, going around town when Once Upon a Time, Once Upon oh, a yeah. Time in Hollywood <laughs> and taking all those photos. And that was a great few months of just keeping track of where they were. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving across town to Westwood when they were setting up um, before they'd even shot there. And I took some photos. It was great. And I was driving home after that. And I just have decided to call my mother to tell her about this because she and my father actually lived in L.A. in 69. Oh, wow. Um, so as I was talking to her, I started to notice like certain period automobiles around me. And I was like, wait, something's going on. I have to call you back. And I stopped the car and I realized that they were actually shooting the movie um Margot Robbie driving the Porsche down Wilshire Boulevard and there was much more in the way of buses and extras that you see on screen in that in that scene mm-hmm. but it was like they were driving right by where my parents lived in 1969 and it was oh, like wow. this is actually kind of yeah. cool yeah but so tracking that shoot in, you know Hollywood Boulevard and and through Westwood and other places was those was that was a fun few months it was a Very fun few cool. months yeah. 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 I love that. I loved all those photos from the set that you were taking pictures when you were happened upon it. It was so cool. It was so much fun. Every time I had to leave, I didn't want to. I just wanted to stay there. I wanted yeah. it to continue. Still do, I think. Yeah. Stay in the 60s. Yeah. Well, your thoughtful essays are always must reads. So, what can you tell us about your blog? Mr. Peel's Sardine Liqueur, like for people who don't know, or and I recommend they go check it out immediately. But Thank how you. did it come about? Um, like I said before, it was sort of it was that time when blogs were kind of uh, kind of big, and I think I just was looking for a way to get my voice out there. And it mm-hmm. took some time for it to find its shape in terms of what I wanted to write about, and. You know, I think by a certain point, I started to, a few pieces became really, really long as if I was almost vomiting up everything I'd ever seen or thought or absorbed about a movie before. I remember this piece I wrote about Exorcist 2 was one of those. With Exorcist mm. 2 is a movie I always had a lot of fascination over, partly because of the movie, partly because of the way it was released and how they cut the movie after it even opened because the response was so horrible. Uh-huh. And I was sort of there was this great film comment article written by Todd McCarthy when the movie came out, basically going into detail about what went down at Warner Brothers um, during the release. Um, And so all these things always kind of fascinated me. So I wrote a really long piece talking about that. And I don't even think it's one of my, my better ones, but it sort of pointed the way towards where I wanted to go. I remember the first comment left on that piece was from Joe Dante. It was like, okay, maybe, wow. I, uh, maybe I did okay on this one. Um, and so gradually there was a period around 2010 where I suddenly became a man at liberty from my old job and I had a lot of time to work on and I spent an almost ridiculous amount of time focused on these long pieces and I tried to find my way into films that, you know, you know, Sam Peckinpah and all these other people that made films that were maybe a little bit foreign to me. I didn't want to just write about films that I grew up watching. You yeah. know, I mentioned Star Wars and stuff, but that, that's the easy one to think about. I, I didn't want to just write about I love this movie when I was 10 
because I'm not 10 anymore. And I wanted to go deeper than that. Write about movies, you know, from the 50s and the 60s and Kiss Me Deadly and Strangers When We Meet and all these other films that I love and trying to explore why they affect me the way they do. So it's been a gradual thing. And I don't, I think that there was a point where I started to spend more time on some of the pieces. I mean, there were back around 2011, I would write eight, eight of these things in a month and you can't keep oh that up. Gosh. You can't no. keep that up. I, I look like, I remember, I think November, 2010, it was like, how did I do that? <laughs> and I still don't know. And you can't keep that up. So it slowed down a little bit, but I'm still working on them. It's just it just takes longer now. Yeah. Well, I love reading those, and I'm the Thank same you. way. When I started my blog, I remember the first couple of years, it was like 300, 400 pieces a year. I mean, they were shorter. Mm -hmm. But then after like, that, it's like no, typing away. I know. It's like, what did I do? Just type all day every day? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can't keep that up for sure. No, so, absolutely, absolutely yeah. not. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I've been able to just pound one of these things out. It's like I get myself in this zone, and sometimes mm -hmm. these pieces take a while. I remember, you know, because there was that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood piece I wrote, which took a while, and I worked on it. I, I was just focused on nothing but that. I had a job at the time, but I was just focused on nothing but that because I wanted to get it right. And It was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you much thank you yeah really so, like that one thank thank you thank you so yeah i i guess that's one of those things where i want to i want to get the pieces right and i also want to come up with a reason for why i'm writing about the film to begin with because i keep saying that i've never i've never written about jaws for example because it's like well jaws is great but what do i have to add about jaws yes um, if I come up with something, sure. But mm -hmm. so far, Jaws is great. Everyone loves it. I'll watch it again this summer. I love it. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. Yeah. But what it, what can I say that hasn't been put out there already? I'm not so sure. And sometimes I've tried to cover, look into movies that, you know, I wrote about Bullet. I wrote about all the president's men. And certainly mm -hmm. those qualify. But it's like trying to find a way into write, saying something different about yeah. them. Like to explore them and why I keep watching some of these movies over and over again. Very true. On the weekend, I watched The Deer Hunter and <laughs> I had somebody like, oh, I hope you write about it. And I was just watching it for the first time in ages for myself. It's a gorgeous new Shout Factory release, 4K. It's really beautiful. And I was like, oh, I'm just watching it. And if I think of something, maybe in the future, but it's like one of the most covered movies of the 70s. Yeah. And what do I born in 1981 like what would I have to offer and yeah if I come up with an interesting way in sure, sure. but I yeah it's some of those I'd rather write about things that are a little more surprising or that affect me personally and I always like that about your pieces like your I think it was the inherent vice when mm -hmm. you started in with kind of questioning what you even wanted to say, like, what do I think about this movie? Do I like this movie? And I really admired the way you worked your way into it because it was an outstanding piece as well. Thank and you. Um, yeah, so I've always loved that. Well, um, I certainly understand not knowing what to write about something like The Deer Hunter, this massive behemoth 
a movie. Yeah. But just because you're born in 1981, oh, that doesn't no. rule out. Uh, oh, no, of course. Um, if you do have some, I mean, I'm not looking to write about The Deer Hunter right now. I think the only Chimino movie I ever wrote about may have been a long time ago, may have been Desperate Hours, that remake he okay. did with Mickey Rourke, which is not yes. a good movie, <laughs> but a weirdly compelling one, if memory serves. Uh-huh. Um I, I'm kind of be kind of interested to watch it again now that I'm thinking about it. But um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, just because you, a movie is foreign to you, you know, maybe try to explore it sometimes. But the Deer oh, Hunter, yeah, I yeah. understand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more like, you know, had I been in the military or had I had some kind of direct line to the film i would have something interesting to say or but yeah it's one of the most covered so it just depends on you know i wrote this piece on easy rider once and the piece i wrote on easy rider was a very personal piece Uh about certain things i will not go into here sure you're fine we're we're ever in a bar late one night i'll let you know but um, (laughs) aside from the personal element it was also what can i say about this movie that almost more than any other film is one of those cases where you had to be there yeah and that was one of those things that interested me about it when i wanted to see if i did have something to say and i was proud with the piece that was and again it was a personal thing i was saying stuff about certain things um (laughs) So I'm always looking for those, maybe I'm looking for challenges sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was challenged. I did write about Scarface last year and at first is the same idea, like but it was De Palma's Scarface. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. everybody has talked about this movie. What am I going to bring to it? But I did find a way in. So it just, it depends on what, on what reaches you in the film. And we yeah, all watch I, I, a different movie. Which, you know... I still haven't done Scarface. I actually watched that again last year. But I never... um, uh, I'm one of those people that it was never a favorite of mine. Um, Uh I I always like Carlito's way better, actually. Yeah, me too. Uh, Okay. So never say never, but I I was never quite sure what... And it's one of those, that's three hours long. What am I doing? (laughs) It just feels exhausting just to think about writing about that one. But uh, but never say never. I've, I've done a lot of De Palma films. Uh-huh. Through the run of the blog, and those are always fantastic to write about. Um, yes. Late one night a few weeks ago, I watched Femme Fatale again. I love that film. And uh, mm-hmm. Palma is one of those directors these days that uh, can be uh, can be soothing in an odd sort of way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The movies we remember. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know that Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye is one of your all-time favorites. What are some of your other favorite movies, whether it's or actors, screenwriters, directors, like some of your favorite? Um, for a while, I've said that my three favorites these days are um, The Long Goodbye, Shampoo, and The Apartment. You know, Billy Wilder is okay. always this big one for me, and I would certainly put a few of his films in there. When I was, I mentioned Brazil earlier, and when I was a kid, yeah. I was all, I would always say Brazil was my favorite. And it's almost like I kind of, um, the, the movie and I kind of... I don't know. I didn't, it's not that I stopped liking it, but it was almost like it, it served its purpose for me at a certain point in time, and I almost didn't need it anymore. Um, it's interesting. It happens it, sometimes. It, it happens, and in a weird sort of way, I was really into into Cronenberg in my teen years, in my 20s, and I still, I think I've seen every mo- every one of his films that I ever could have seen in a theater, mm-hmm. um, but I 
don't, I have massive respect for him, but I don't quite have the sort of passion for him that I used to. I saw, and I know this, how crazy this will sound, but I saw Dead Ringers in the theater when I was 17 years old on opening day. Mm-hmm. And I remember staggering out of the theater, unsure of what I'd just seen, but greatly affected by it. Uh-huh. Um, and I still, you know, movies like that in Brazil are the sort of films that I think you should be exposed to at that age when your thoughts about films are still being formed. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, um, I think about a lot of Wilder and Sturges in terms of some of my favorites. I could mention something like like Kiss Me Deadly is a favorite. There's a Kirk Douglas film called Strangers When We Meet that I really love. It's a Richard Klein film with him and Kim Novak from around 1960. It's sort of a, almost a Douglas Sirk type soap set in Los Angeles. Um, I'm a big fan of another Kirk Douglas film, Two Weeks in Another Town with Vincent McCitch, Vincent directed me because that movie's also insane and I love it. And there've been Mm -hmm. periods where I've watched it several times in a week. Why? I'm not even sure. (laughs) Um, And you get into the seventies. I mean, some of the seventies titles that I could mention are, you know, titles you could guess that from, you know, The Godfather and things that and once you once you hit the 80s you know it's it's a whole bunch of things from raiders of the lost ark to again blue velvet to um to demi's something wild which i just watched about a week ago and i still love that film mm-hmm. um and you know again with lynch mohan drive is just about my favorite film of this century i think yeah it's so up there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. it's a in terms of favorites, it's a it's a long list. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always I'm always looking for things that I haven't uh, haven't seen yet. Yeah, I love that. You're always looking for things you've missed in the past, and also yeah. just anything you can find. I think that's really cool that you kind of absorb, but also go back and look at old favorites, which is very mm-hmm. cool. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this and sharing your taste with us it was just a lot of fun to talk to you this has been a blast thank you so much jen yeah I'm glad to thank do it. you i know thank it was you. really good you take care take care my guest today mr peter avellino really is the best and i greatly enjoyed talking to him live and in person with the magic of skype i was so neurally excited because Turner Classic Movies had shared photos of their sets to download and plug into Skype and Zoom, and I finally got it to work, so I was able to speak to Peter while being transported to the Noir Alley set and pretend that I was a fraction as cool as Eddie Muller for about 30 minutes or so. One quick clarification, when I mentioned my age with regard to The Deer Hunter, I meant less that I was too young to write about it. I write about classic movies all the time, but more that I respect The Deer Hunter so much that I worry I wouldn't do it justice because I would want to be 100% authentic when it comes to the experience of the vets in Vietnam. And I think that the voices from that era have the strongest handle on it. Of course, if I think of something that gets me right into it, I will go ahead and write it. But I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're new to the podcast, I encourage you to check out some of my earlier conversations with a wide range of guests, from bloggers to actors to authors to critics, as well as my solo shows of Watch With Jen, where I recommend five movies currently available on streaming for you to see. 
I have a lot of wonderful guests lined up for the future, and I'm always thinking of more to add, as well as revisiting with some of the earlier guests for theme shows, so there's a lot more ahead. I'm still learning as I go, of course, and I hope you'll stay tuned. Oh, and a reminder to all that if you're listening to the pod on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, I first upload the shows on my Patreon, which is located at patreon.com slash filmintuition. And I provide links for every guest in each post, and Peter is no exception. I've linked to some of his thoughtful epic pieces that he mentioned for your reading pleasure, things we discussed, a selection of the movies we referenced, and links to his Twitter and blog where you can see his posts and tell him just how much his work means to you. Additionally, you can sign up to support this series on my Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Again, thank you so much for joining in. My best to you and your family. Stay safe, happy movie watching, and I'll talk to you soon. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.